the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show as we head into our third hour coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio. Brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. My trusted source for a precious mind, Hugh Hallman in studio with me, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, educator, among other things. He's usually joined by his son, Louis, who is uh, not with us today, but will be back uh, when he's in better fettle next week. Yes, I'm sorry his fettle is broken. Um, <laughs> in fact, I think he would uh, prefer that it be noted that uh, he, I appear with him, not he, that he appears with me. Uh, and so his father appears with Lewis Hallman, not Lewis Hallman appears with. Yeah, okay, never mind. He's Too much been, twisting. Uh, yeah, he'll, whatever that was, twisting, he'll <laughs> twisting and turning. <laughs> uh, I want to cut in on you, young David. Young David was telling me yesterday, or the day, or recently, if not yesterday, Friday, that his New Year's resolution is to read some books that he's never read before, um, and he decided to go to. Uh, what do you read? What, uh, what What are you doing? Got it right here. Raymond Chandler. He wants to read Raymond Chandler books, which invokes our friend on Indian School, the book gallery. That's right. Where I assume you got that collection of Raymond Chandler books, young David. And I think it's a great resolution. The book gallery, by the way. What did I say? I'm sorry. Uh, Our friend on Indian School. Yeah, yeah, at the book book gallery. gallery. Yeah. And um, Michael Riley. Michael Riley, great man. And um, you started some books, too. I don't know if they were part of a resolution. But you were telling me on our run the other day that you were delving into. It is uh, a a book that I received for Christmas, ironically, acquired from Michael Riley at the Book Gallery on Indian School. When I had gone in a day before and asked him uh, a day uh, prior to Christmas, do you have Gulag Archipelago? And he said, "Uh, you know, that – the one I had, I sold yesterday, and it turned out he sold it to Lewis, who <laughs> presented it to me at Christmas. So it was um, real gift of the Mag guy. There. Is it Mag guy or Magi? One of the two of us will have to come up with that. So we're both reaching for our phones, trying to decide. I'll do the research. You tell the story. Okay. So I begun reading that um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's work on the Gulag system that the Soviet Union had put up uh, with Stalin, effectively. it uh, Sort of the horrors started with Lenin. Uh, there's some nice exposition by Solzhenitsyn about the fact that Lenin is not cleansed of this blood on his hands, that they were uh, using every source of power they could muster to get rid of people that they thought might, and I put the emphasis on might, uh, disagree with their moves to uh, total power and imposition of some sort of uh, brilliant uh, new society uh, that is based in Marxism. And that led to tens of millions of people being imprisoned and many of them murdered uh, beginning in the mid-1920s uh, and continuing during Soviet times 
unmasked really only after Stalin lost power to Khrushchev and Khrushchev eventually denying Stalin. Stalin had been, after death, uh, put into the mausoleum with Lenin. Imagine, you know, on Red Square in Moscow, outside the Kremlin, there is this black marble building. And inside that still is what is purported to be the corpse of Lenin uh, on view under a glass dome. How much of it is uh, is still Lenin and whether or not there's anything left of the human body there at all is hard to know. Uh, friends, uh, now most of them long dead, would regale me with stories about watching the corpse sort of as it collapsed and more more clothing got put over it and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, eventually, but Stalin was put into the same crypt uh, on view until he was removed and buried. The point being that these horrors took place in a society uh, where the levers of power were used to damage tens of millions of people and murder many of them uh, and subject them to rape and all kinds of horrors all in view. And the fear I have is, I think, the voice you have been giving to what is going on in these United States from the left. We have in your monologue, uh, you use uh, Michelle Obama's recent podcast interview on a psychology podcast, uh, gnashing her teeth or rending her garments or uh what do you call this? I've forgotten now. Moving one, her hands. Yeah, wringing her hands. Thank you. About the prospect that the wrong people might get elected in the upcoming elections. It's frightening to her. It is frightening. I mean, it, it, clearly in the, the cracking of her voice, it is truly concerning. And you point out that this whole leftist notion that uh, we all need to be afraid is exactly the tool and mechanism being used to drive people into uh, behaving. We saw that perhaps most strikingly and frighteningly, in truth, during COVID, when fear-mongering was used to drive people into their homes, keep them from not just going out to the grocery store to dinner, but from visiting family members. They were denied the opportunity to visit loved ones who were dying in the hospital. To be social animals. Correct. Well, but... Think of the, the rare instances right. in anyone's life that is so meaningful one. than one's own passing and the passing of that close loved one right. and being denied that moment together. Uh, uh, the number of people I know personally who lost parents or siblings and they were unable to see them. One person could go in. That sort of thing that still exists has caused significant psychological and emotional damage. That's just one tiny example. All the children who were denied the opportunity to attend school and be social animals, and then some. Well, that is the most extreme example, and we talked about it uh, quite a lot on this show, about the challenges COVID was presenting that were real, how they could be addressed, and instead what the left did to demonstrate and perhaps, I would argue, experiment with the opportunity to exercise control and see how well it went. All the while calling you 
a science denier. That's an important part of this. That is absolutely the Soviet method. Mm -hmm. And so anybody who would disagree, one uses pejoratives to undermine their credibility. I was knocked off the NPR station here. You were knocked off of of social media. Uh, the, The number of those kinds of things. And yet now... We're seeing the reports even occasionally in the New York Times about the psychological devastation done to our society, our children and adults that came from that process. Mm -hmm. And it is so Soviet to have gone through that. It was the Soviet Union using psychological studies and and uh, uh, science and, and medicine to jail people for wrong thinking. And now we have the beginning of that process. If you disagree with Michelle Obama, what you are thinking is frightening. And they've already proved the willingness to shut us out of the political uh, engagement in airwaves, off of media, no news stories. You can't do editorials. Two states. Exactly. As they claim against our threat to democracy, depriving the possibility of voting for the Republican that nominee. that that is a, that is perhaps the most recent and frightening example to me. One can dislike Donald Trump as much as one wants to, but to have a Secretary of State, an unelected, unelected yep. Secretary of State in Maine, make the decision that a presidential candidate will not be on the ballot is the most undemocratic thing I can think of these days. By a civil standard of preponderance of the evidence over a thing that is defined in the statutes as a crime which would require beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, forget that. A crime that has not yet been proven. So it is an allegation that since there's an allegation beyond a preponderance of evidence, I've determined that that allegation meets a standard that's ridiculous in the first instance. So your point being... To even think that, you'd have to have convicted President Trump of the crime and then use that. Instead, they're just rubbing sand into their belly buttons and creating now legal conclusions that smack square on about the kinds of things that because of my work over the last 30 years, yes, here it is, in Kazakhstan, Russia, and Ukraine, I'd leave that out most well, of the time. I mean, you see what, yeah. I mean. And, and I, the reason I'm reading Gulag Archipelago is because when I take people to Kazakhstan, I take them to an example of one of those gulags, a special gulag built by Stalin for the wives and daughters of his political enemies. So when he pushed somebody into a gulag in the far east of Russia, he would then strip their daughters and wives of their livelihoods and their lives and stick them into this camp in Kazakhstan. And part of the reason I love the Kazakhs is they spent their time and risked their lives providing these women with support and food and other protections against their Soviet guards. Let me pick up on this when we come back. Hugh Hallman is my guest. There's some elements that involve the media as well. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hugh Hallman, my guest. We're talking a little bit about some stuff I was talking about in my monologue based on an interview Michelle Obama gave on, I think, the world's most, certainly the nation's most popular psychological podcast. Uh, It's called On Purpose with a host named Jay Shetty. And while talking about all forms of psychological thinking and relationships, she said, I used the word uh, frightened. I was wrong. I I underplayed it. Um, She used a stronger word. She was asked uh, by Jay Shetty, the guest, you know, what, what are the kinds of things that keep her up at night? 
and she said, the things that keep me up are the things that actually terrify me. The word was terrified. And it's about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Who we select, who speaks for us, who holds the bully pulpit affects us in ways that I sometimes think people take for granted. And then she went on to a riff about if we choose poorly, if we choose wrongly, the things that frighten her that we might do, we could be talking about people that will take us into war, people that will divide us further, people that will judge us on our race. By people, she means obviously Donald Trump and the Republican Party. She has to mean that because her side would give her comfort. Mm -hmm. So it must be those who oppose her views. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so what you were talking about, what I was talking about, and what you were talking about in the previous segment was how this 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 use of psychology or psychiatric speak or 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 emotion speak to implant fear, her word terror, terrify, if you don't have the right political opinions, is an exceedingly dangerous thing because it was part and parcel of the Soviet use of crushing dissent, right? It was known as the abuse of psychiatry. We had it here. We called it the abuse of psychiatry. They called it the use of psychiatry. They called it the use of psychiatry. And then when Viktor Bukovsky started pointing out in the, uh, I think, early 1970s, it became a horrific thing to, for, for, for those of us in the West to discover that's what Soviet mental institutions were doing, or those reading the Gulag Archipelago, or those who had been familiar with Whitaker Chambers. They did this early on, famously with Barry Goldwater in 1964. Fact magazine, no longer in business, right before the election, about a week before the election, had a front cover essay uh, where they surveyed thousands of psychiatrists across the country, and the headline was 1,189 psychiatrists find Barry Goldwater unfit to be president, meaning mentally unfit to be president. Not a single one of them ever examined him. Uh, actually led to something called the Goldwater Rule in psychiatric practice, where you are not allowed to diagnose someone you do not clinically examine. He sued, he won, but the damage having been done and the message having gone out that there is a political point of view which makes you psychologically unfit to hold office, perhaps even to elect someone for office. That psychological profile is called conservatism. It's a very dangerous road to go down. And we think about that in the context of the other thing that has been on a lot of people's minds for years, as you've pointed out, even the New York Times has now begun to discover that we have a mental health crisis in this country. There is a real mental health crisis in this country. It turns out the side that has very much exacerbated it, though they complain about us being or conservatives or right-wingers being psychologically unfit by profile, the ones that have exacerbated this mental health crisis are the ones who have desocialized us and deanimated us and have done so through COVID, have done through, so through social media, have done so through various kinds of manipulations. I would even go so far as to say the introduction of a lot of experimental drugs on our youth at too quick a trigger finger to use them. You see this with the mass shootings. Um, it led me to say, you know, we have a very dangerous thing going on in this country, but really it's 
it's a situation of physician heal thyself. The idea that there can only be a default sanity in this country, and that's the word I want to use because that's what she's trying to impart. The only sane viewpoint in this country is the liberal left progressive viewpoint. Correct, and uh, that that is their that is their message, and to underscore the positive side of their message, this is the right way to think, is the negative side of the message, which is if you don't think that way, if you don't agree with this on COVID, you're a science denier, you're insane, you should not be allowed to have these conversations, that is uh, um, disinformation strategies. Uh, they assume facts not proved or in evidence, as the main secretary of state did, saying Donald Trump effectively is a terrorist here because he has violated the Constitution by uh, seeking to overthrow the country through her brilliant uh, uh, legal mind and application of inappropriate standards. They, you know, calling anyone uh, who is on the conservative side a Nazi, that happens. The, probably got it. Yeah. most strikingly, just yesterday, the president of the United States appears in a church where, yes, it is true that white supremacists killed nine people, but he uses that literally bully pulpit to paint every conservative as a white supremacist Nazi. Did this in he, Georgia two years ago by saying we're the party of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. Right? That is exactly the point, and of course, he's having to use names. That represented the Democratic Party. Yeah. That's the true irony here is the entire stain of this comes from the Democratic Party, and they have now perverted that to claim somehow that it is Republicans who are the source of these concepts. And anytime anyone does anything that's outrageous, it must have been Donald Trump or his cohort. What do you think it does to the sanity and calm of a society to invoke these dredges of history so casually? Constantly and continuously Frenzy. and casually. Right. You, you, you bring in to the notion of children's minds right. that they should be afraid of their grandparents because of COVID. They, they are the terrors to their grandparents. They need to be locked down. Imagine what that does to children. Imagine what it does to children to hear people continually refer to anybody who comes from a particular a fairly large band of people they're all white supremacists they're racists uh, this country is systemically racist all of those continuous messages that are assumed now they have developed their narrative and that narrative is just being repeated as fact and spread to people as fact and must be assumed by children to be correct you and I uh, each 35 years ago or 30 years ago had experiences in writing where we were in university settings at the time, which were relatively open. And yet we faced the same assumptive results that we could not contest the notions of how uh, race preferences should be played out. Each of us coming to a conclusion that race preferences, like we see in the gay appointment and ultimately her dismissal, that if you set someone up for failure by promoting them to a position for which they are not competent, you are demonstrating not success of that person, but utter failure as a model and telling that to everyone else who you told should be modeling themselves after this person. Yeah. That's the kind of crazy we've entered into. Yeah. I threatened that we were going to get to the media's role in this, and I want to do that when we come back because you've been um, reading <laughs> the New York Times like a good Republican would read the Soviet Constitution. Uh, Hugh Hallman and I will be right back.
Coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. I am Seth Liebson, here with Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, educator, many other things in town. Joins us on Tuesdays, usually with his son, Louis, who uh, can't be with us this week, but will rejoin us next week. We're talking about... You know, there wasn't a bad phrase from a leftist once upon a time in the 1980s, Mr. Holman, professor at MIT, still around, named Noam Chomsky. He wrote a book called Manufacturing Consent. That's what we're talking about here, manufacturing consent from one political angle. And it's a manufacturing because it's a creating of consent by anyone who dissents being seen as, I think you don't like it when I use this phrase, but I'll use it anyway because I can't think of a better one, untermensch, just not a legitimate part of society. Wrong thinking, wrong psychology, wrong affect, wrong century, um, not with it, not uh, not in step with the acharant. Correct, and I've never objected to your use of oh, that okay. All phrase, right. so you'll have, you're okay. blaming me for somebody uh, else's oh, okay. objections. Maybe. I'll, I'll adopt them, I'm sure, but... Uh, <laughs> maybe, you just, and, and, maybe you just corrected the spelling once. Maybe it was... <laughs> not me. But you, uh, I was making the point. You've been undertaking lately the reading of the New York Times. I said as a Republican might read the Soviet Constitution, I meant a small-R Republican might read the Soviet... Because you have... Anyway, I'll... Yeah, the, 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 what I am about is uh, daily just examining the extent to which the New York Times, the nation's newspaper, has bent itself around a narrative and repeats it. And it's not just in the opinion pages. That's what's most disconcerting, that in news stories uh, about almost any subject, there will be dropped in editorial content from the clearly the perspective of the New York Times and almost all of their uh, news writers, and that's in quotation marks, there is a is a perspective that infects everything they write. And every time I see it, it informs me about the mindset of those people writing it, that that is already assumed as a fact. So, for example, uh, there was just today a very long uh, article about the disinformation campaigns going on worldwide. This is not a shot at Republicans generally, but there are some specifics. So generally, they're talking about the fact that you've got Russia, China, and Iran engaging wholesale in efforts to contaminate the elections in um, Republican slash Democratic societies where you've got open elections, and there are many coming up. This coming year, you have elections across the world, including in Ukraine and Russia, that must take place. And that Russia and China and Iran are working diligently and probably, given their other conspiratorial efforts, together to undermine the results of those elections, to embarrass the left elite, uh, and that's their phrasing, Democrats, small d, that, that open societies can be embarrassed by this because voters can be manipulated. And the social media and the algorithm algorithms running it are allowing those kinds of efforts to contaminate people's decision making and eliminate facts. Well, they're doing it by assuming facts that are not yet proved. 
in the same way the main secretary of state assumed Donald Trump has committed treason and therefore should not be on the ballot. Well, the New York Times on a daily basis is infusing their news stories. So as somebody is seeking information and facts from a news story, they are getting this bias opinion as fact. And today's news story about this global problem included that there's disinformation campaigns going on in these United States. And what's the only example they give? Election deniers. Who are they pointing to? Republicans who believe that Donald Trump properly was elected. You cannot contest that. Well, I'm not going to get into that argument, but there's instance after instance of facts that they've assumed. So as another example, just yesterday, I sent you an article about their assessment of these elections going on and that there are totalitarians who are up for election as in and they included in that Israel. They're talking about Benjamin Netanyahu being a totalitarian strongman over Israel. Really? You think Israelis would agree with that? Even those who dispute uh, that they want him to continue? I don't think so. But the New York Times thinks so. Why? They're on the wrong side of the battle with Hamas. There is that point you made. It's so it's so good that I want to return to when we come right back about this notion that they start with a fact in contention that they want to be true. They don't find a great need to source it or substantiate it. In fact, any unnamed source will do, a source we will never have access to. And who knows if it's the third assistant secretary of who cares what, who said it, or their secretary. That will count as an unnamed source. And then that, once established, once planted in the ground, becomes the tree from which they can build future stories. We'll be right back on that. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. There are so many examples we could use, uh, but basically we're talking about what the editor of Shinbone says to Ransom Stoddard at the end of uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. He said, "How here in the West, when the legend becomes fact, you print the legend. And that's what the New York Times has become. It's become the newspaper of Shinbone, really. Oh, I'd go one more step. It creates its own legends. And so in the last segment, you mentioned that the New York Times will take something that is a fact in contention and cite some uh, uncertain source typically cited as their identity is withheld for their protection and what have you. And they'll cite it as supporting the fact in contention. What's I find most fascinating now is that the New York Times is using itself as its source to prove the fact later on. It's a particular loop right now. And so then in later news stories, after they've set that fact up in their own conclusion by documenting it through some questionable source as true, despite the fact that it was in contention, they then will, in later news stories, cite back to that news story as the source of the fact that they're now taking on as well established. They themselves established it as a fact, and therefore, in future use, it must be so. And that's getting increasingly uh, obvious. It, it used to be hidden because without the Internet, one could not include these little citations. But every time their new news stories are now filled with citations back to their own news stories. So I go clicking through these news stories, looking at these facts that I know to continuously be in dispute to follow where their thread goes. And it always goes back to a foundation in sand. And that sand is their own determination, not based in actual fact. The same process 
that the Secretary of State of Maine went through to establish the fact that Donald Trump's name could not be on the Maine ballot for the primary. That is the process we're entering. And we see this um, as crazy as people might think it is. We see this has happened before in history. It is not necessarily the case. In fact, I don't believe it is the case that history is always going to move us forward right. into the future. Right. Societies fall. Many have fallen. Open societies have fallen. And it is crucial that those of us who care about this spend our time defending what this society is about and the philosophy and principles on which this society is based. But to our side, we cannot engage in the activity in which they engage. So those people who go to their Twitter feed to figure out what the truth is have an obligation to dig in and actually understand fact. I say this with some experience. Am I seeking your support for running for office? No. But I've been through the process. I've been in these trenches. I thought it mattered to Republicans that those of us seeking to serve in elected office had served in the trenches and gotten experience to understand and could express that. What I found out in one election cycle in 13-14 was that anybody who'd served in office previously clearly must be someone who's contaminated. You're a, quote, professional politician, unquote, and part of the, quote, establishment, unquote. Well, those two phrases in Republican circles at the time and still are those that get you knocked out of contention. Well, ladies and gentlemen, when you go in for heart surgery, do you not want a surgeon who's done that a few times? Do you know not in, in legal help or uh, your accountant, do you not want somebody who understands the lay of the land and has that experience? Why on earth, then, do we not want to have people representing the Republican Party who've experienced this and as a result have a track record that demonstrates who they are? The other piece I would add to that is we also must understand we're trying to move the ball downfield. Let's use the football analogy. I know very few times in which the play can go from one's own zero-yard line to the opponent's zero-yard line with a touchdown in a straight line. We have to zig and we zag. And to use those zigs and zags against someone when they are in a bad environment pushing the ball in the right direction is foolhardy. The Democrats understand this. Liberals understand this. They have been at this for the last hundred years, and they're eating our lunch. Why do I say that? Because Franklin Delano Roosevelt got elected in 1932, served until his death, his understudy picked up that ball, and they just kept moving the ball. They'd run off to the sidelines, do whatever they had to do, and advance it a few, a few yards. And in that hundred-year process, we have now seen us go from a society in which most of us made our own decisions. The economics of the society were in our own hands, that you could engage in business in ways that were not regulated. And instead, beginning in the 1930s, as a result of the uh, court-packing efforts by Franklin Roosevelt, we ended up with a society in which the federal government is almost in every single thing. And that's, in fact, what, to bring it full circle, Mrs. Obama was 
happy about. She said the reason it matters that we have leaders that she wants is because the federal government is running so much of our business. And thank God for that, she thinks. I think just the opposite, that every engagement of the federal government and many engagements by our states now in our daily lives is not improving our lives. It is redistributing wealth. And the thing I do know for sure is that the only basis on which these people have their claws into the wealth that's generated is by paying people off. And without the wealth generation that this society can create, they would have no ability to do this. This is Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand from the 1950s. And I bring that one more piece, a book to read. If you've never read The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, written uh, during the war years, published in 1943, she was born, raised, and left, escaped the Soviet Union. And she is writing in that book the warnings to what we're facing today, that the newspaper editor in that book, the newspaper publisher, watched his newspaper be infected by the left, as in every kind of news story, be it art, literature, uh, uh, straight up geopolitical news. Somebody was building in on a, a, a fact that had been disputed, turned into assumptions, turned into the truth so that people's brains would get washed over thinking that the left's view was correct and anybody who disagreed should be imprisoned. Ha! Huh. We need a break. We'll be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a great investment opportunity for you that invests you with flexibility and control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees. Of course, you get a monthly statement with no surprises and no attack on principal if you ever need your money back. This secure collateralized portfolio offered up by Y-Refi can earn you up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. It's hard to follow up on what you said, Hugh, except I will try this in conclusion to uh, that, that wonderful, wonderful, um, wonderful set of comments you just gave us before the break. When you identify what Franklin Roosevelt and the New Dealers did throughout the entirety of the 1930s and the better part of the 1940s, and then attach onto that, you wouldn't need to, but we did, or the liberal state did, the progressive state did, the great society programs of Lyndon Johnson, when you put those two things together in thinking about the federal government and how 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 much stasis there is and how hard it is to get freedom back and how hard it is to erode or take back any of that which they entrenched, we know this every time there's a budget debate because to this day, most of the budget is what's called non-discretionary. In other words, Things we really can't touch. And what constitutes the non-discretionary parts of the budget? Uh, Exactly the programs from the New Deal and the Great Society. Exactly that. It's exactly the social programs that were entrenched by Roosevelt, to some degree Truman, and a lot of a degree to LBJ. And we suffer to this day over this non-discretionary element of the budget. People want to say, well, why can't you cut the non-discretionary? Meaning... No power to do anything about. That's what discretion means etymologically. 
That's what Michelle Obama wants. That's what the power monger wants. The power mongers want us to have no power, them to have all of it, and that be called the default normal position in America. And it never was supposed to be that way. We are not a one-party country. And that one party that currently seeks to have power with all the levers is going to continue that process. You hear it in every speech. And if you disagree with that, you are to be uh, ridiculed, called names that uh, will prevent you from holding office. Or getting a job. Getting a job. And that then that drumbeat is drilled into the heads of children so that as they age, they know never to look in that direction. That is the really pernicious part of this, that the training process that is going on is to assure that nobody ever has that wrong thinking ever again. That's Boo Radley's house over there. That's right. Two legs bad, four legs good. Hugh Holman, thank you, sir. Uh, audience, thank you all, sirs and madams, and David Dahl, thank you. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leaps on behalf of Hugh and David and the rest of you. God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.